The story of Moses is filled with many twists and turns, highs and lows. But one thing that is always evident throughout the story is God's hand. The hope for this series is that you will see no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you have done, God still has a purpose and plan for your life and will use you if you let him. So let's get into Moses. I'm just pumped for what we're starting today. We've got a new series we're beginning. I've been planning it for a long time, looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, it's a part. It's a six-part series on Moses, and, and we're going to take six weeks to look at six different episodes in his life. And you may say, "Well, why Moses?" Thanks for asking. And because when I read the Bible, there are so many stories of so many people. And sometimes you come across a person in the Bible, you say like. Man, I am so glad I'm not that guy. Like you ever read Job's story? And you're like, woo, thank you, Jesus. Okay, right? And then sometimes you'll read another story and think I could never be as good as that guy. Like Nehemiah maybe comes to mind. But when I read the story of Moses, I think I get this guy. Like he would get mad. I thought I would get mad at the same thing. He would get depressed. I'm thinking, man, if I were in your shoes right now, I'd be twice as depressed. He did things God told him not to do, been there, done that. He got out of God's timing, been there, done that. You know, like when I look at Moses' story, it gives me so much hope. Like I, I, God used him, maybe God can use me. And so I think as we get through some of Moses' life story over the next six weeks, I think you're gonna agree. Like I, I get this guy. He represents me, I relate to him, I can understand this. Matter of fact, let me ask you some questions. Have you ever found yourself just totally frustrated at the lot in life that God gave you? Have you ever felt disappointed with God because you stepped out to do something that you thought he wanted, but it didn't exactly turn out as though you thought it would? Have you ever just felt absolutely inadequate to do what you thought you should? Have you ever wondered if your life even mattered in the big picture? Have you ever felt lost and like you didn't belong to any group of people anywhere and nobody really loved you like you hoped someone would? Have you ever found yourself realizing that something you dreamed of simply never will be and you have to embrace a new reality? I can tell you that I relate to several of those. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that anyone who just heard that list relates to at least a couple, if not all. And the truth is, all I did was describe Moses' life. He relates to every single one of them. So my hope for this series is that we can take this really strange, crooked journey that we've been on called life and shine some light on what God has actually been doing and give you some hope that God is not through with you yet that there is a future for you. If God can, can do this stuff in Moses' life, that God can still work in you, God can still work through you. Actually, I believe that he is. And so with that being said, everybody, let me introduce you to a guy named Moses. He would go on to actually be one of the most famous characters in the Bible. He comes along pretty early though in history, but he would leave a powerful legacy. He would be the one to rescue God's people from slavery in Egypt. He would be the one to climb to the top of a mountain, Mount Sinai, and receive the famous Ten Commandments. Maybe you've ever seen the little drawings on someone's wall or in Sunday school with the two stone tablets, and that was Moses who held those. He would actually talk to God face to face as a man talks to a friend. Pretty rare. He would establish the ways of God for God's people to live 
You and I today call it the Old Testament law or the law of Moses. He's credited with writing the first five books of the Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy. It's a pretty impressive resume, don't you think? But let's back up and figure out how Moses fits in history. At the beginning, God created people, and over time, the earth was populated, and God said, you know what? I want to have a people upon the earth. I want to have a nation where every other people's and nation will look upon my people and be jealous at how much I have blessed them and how good their ways are because they follow my ways and, and I have a relationship with them and they experience my goodness every day of their lives. I want a people like that, that everybody else will want to know me and worship me as well. So God comes to a guy named Abraham and he says, you're gonna be the father of my people even though you don't even have one child of your own yet. And Abraham did go on to have a son named Isaac. Isaac went on to have a son <clears throat> named Jacob. If you're new to the Bible or you started reading it or you've ever been to church and you've heard someone say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's where the phrase comes from. It's identifying the first three generations of God's people. Well, the fourth generation, there was a pretty special kid. His name was Joseph. And Joseph had a dream. I'm gonna make a very long story short. Joseph had a dream that a famine was coming and told the Egyptian king, because he was in Egypt, another long story short, how to survive the famine. Egypt ended up being one of the wealthiest empires because of this, and they also had no problem with the famine because they had years to prepare for it. So what ended up happening is all of God's people went to live in Egypt as favored guests. But about 400 years later, they weren't favored guests anymore. They had actually become slaves. A new king had arisen 400 years, obviously. And he didn't know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Joseph, of how they came to be. And now Moses is born for such a time as this. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along with me. We're gonna be in Acts chapter seven. And those of you that grew up going to church go, what, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be in the New Testament to talk about Moses. Moses is the first five books of the Bible. Well, for our purposes today, to keep things short, we're actually gonna look at a sermon that was preached in the New Testament about Moses. So Acts chapter seven again, everybody, starting in verse 17. And it says, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph, the son with the dream, right? And this king dealt shrewdly with our race and he forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. What that means is that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, issued an order because he looked around and he noticed, wait a minute, those Israelite Hebrew slaves are becoming many and they're strong. Matter of fact, if they ever figured it out, they could overtake us. This is bad. I know what I'll do, I'll kill all of the male children. It'll wipe out a generation of those who could rise up against us. And so he ordered that every time a male was born to one of God's people, that they would be thrown into the Nile River. The girls could live. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. Now, this is a definite abbreviation. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter two, you would read a much longer version of this story. Some of you have heard the story. It's the famous story of when Moses is put in a basket to float in the Nile River. 
So what had happened is her son was born and just like many of the mothers, they didn't want to kill their sons. And so they would hide them and protect them as long as they could. But after three months, this child is getting big and it cries loud. And at this point, she knows she can hide him no longer. So she comes up with an idea. I will put him in a basket and I'll cover it with tar so that it'll float. And I'll put him in the Nile River. And as he floats down the river, maybe, just maybe, somebody, anybody will find this child that can keep a baby boy because I never could. And so she did. Well, it turns out someone found Moses and it wasn't just a somebody. It was quite the somebody. It was Pharaoh's daughter herself. She comes down to the river to bathe and she comes across this child. And so then she takes him home. And so then we find out, as a result, Moses will actually be raised in Pharaoh's own house as an adopted grandson. The Bible tells us Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. You see, what actually ended up happening is Moses got the best training the world had to offer at the time. He got a degree from West Point and Harvard. It was a double major. Egypt was the greatest empire upon the land and they built the pyramids and they conquered everybody else. So he learned architecture. He learned military tactics. He learned math. He learned science. He learned statesmanship. He learned multiple languages. I mean, he was prepared for anything that God could call him to do in his life. And as we look at Moses, one of the things we'll see today is there is no doubt God's providential hand was upon him every step of the way, preparing him for something amazing. I mean, first of all, he should have been killed when he was born. The order had been given to the midwives as soon as the child comes out, but he wasn't killed when he was born. Matter of fact, he should have been killed when he was found in the river by Pharaoh's own daughter. He issued the order, but he wasn't. He should have been killed when Pharaoh's daughter brought him home to the palace, but he wasn't. And then the coolest part of God's working in the story, the very person that Pharaoh hoped to kill. Someone who could rise up and rescue, lead God's people to freedom. That very person that Pharaoh was trying to wipe out ends up being raised on Pharaoh's own dime, in his own house, eating at his own table for the very job that God was calling him to do. Come on, you know? I want you just to remember this. Yeah, you can clap because God's awesome. I want you to realize when you think that somebody is standing in God's way for your life, you need to think back to this story. Not your spouse, not your parent, not your coach, not your teacher. Nobody is bigger than what God wants to do in your life. If God can raise up the very person Pharaoh wants to kill at his own dinner table, God can do whatever he wants to do in your life. Yeah, that's worthy of an amen. The other service didn't get that. I had to tell him to say it. But anyway, the bottom line is this. What a miraculous providential story of God working. He must have had a pretty special purpose for his life, right? Did you know it would take him 40 years to even get a clue? And then it would be 80 years before he would actually begin to fulfill this purpose. Wow. Let's keep going. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Actually, we get a little bit of detail from another book of the Bible, Hebrews, right here. It says that Moses actually rejected his place as a son of Pharaoh. He actually said, I want nothing more to do with my life in this palace. I want to go and be among my own people. The Bible never tells us about the conversation that he had or when it came to him and someone sat him down and said, hey, buddy, gotta tell you, the reason you look a little different, you're adopted. 
They never told us where that goes down, but we do know the conversation happened because at some point he says, I'm done being amongst you. I'm ready to go and be with my own people. You've told me I have a sister. You've told me I have a brother. I want to go out and I want to find them. He wanted to be counted among his own people, even if they were slaves, noble, to leave a life in the palace. But this didn't turn out as he expected. As he went out that day, seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't. You see, this is the first clue we actually have that Moses knew something inside of him, something about what God had called him to do. It came into his heart that God would save his people by his hand. Surely they're going to figure out Moses is their hero. But they didn't, and he wasn't the hero. This also didn't turn out as he expected. Now we are going to jump to Exodus 2. For those of you that are following along in your Bibles, Exodus 2, 13, we want a little more detail than we got in the book of Acts. It says, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews, these are God's people, were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, well, why do you strike your companion? He's having a hard time understanding You've got all your enemies over here in the palace. They suppress you, you're slaves. How can the two of you spend time arguing with each other? How, how can you do this? But the answer comes back. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? There was a whole lot of smart aleck insinuation in that statement because Moses had been living as a prince in the palace, but of a completely different people, the ones who oppressed them. How dare you, a fake prince, thinks you get to judge us. Do you mean to kill me as you did the Egyptian? Can you imagine Moses' mouth just dropping open at that moment? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. It turns out this thing was very known. So when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh. He ran. And he fled from Pharaoh and he stayed in the land of Midian. This is nations away. It's modern Saudi Arabia. So from Egypt to what would be Saudi Arabia today, in the, the land of Midian, these were distant cousins. They had come from Abraham as well, but not through Isaac and Jacob. So he ran and he hid. And now he is far away from where anyone knows him. He's wanted for murder and he can never go home. But no matter, because he has no home anyway. He has no people. He disowned the Egyptians. They're chasing him for a crime. When he went to his own people, they rejected him and don't think he's much of a hero. Let's pick up the story as he's sitting by a well in Midian. It says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. But then other shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Did you notice something? There is something in his heart he can't stop. It was only a few days ago he tries to rescue his people from an Egyptian who is oppressing them. Then he sees one of his own people oppressing another and says, hey, what do you think you're doing? Then he finds himself in a foreign land and he sees some shepherds being mean to other shepherds and he steps in. There is a thing in him that says, I'm, I'm a defender for the defenseless. I help the helpless. I help those who are being abused and can't do anything for themselves. There's something God has put in him he can't shake. 
When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? That to me is absolutely hilarious. Their father knew every day that they would go out and be chased and harassed by a bunch of other men, and it would take them a long time to get the animals watered and brought back home. And yet he just sends them out every day, expecting them to come home much later. He's like, whoa, you guys actually pulled this off today. What's going on? I'm like, what a bad father, but he's not the one we're talking about. And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And then he said to his daughters, then where is he? There's seven of you and you're single. Come on, go get the man. Let's get a ring on it. At least one of you. What, what did you leave him there for? Okay, that's not there, but I'm pretty sure he said that. He said, call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And Moses would spend the next 40 years hiding in the land of Midian. He would live as a shepherd among shepherds, and that is very important. Hold that thought, we will come back to it. You may ask, so how does this relate to us today? Because that, of course, is the point for the series, right? Well, the first thing that we need to understand that we have in common with Moses is that we have also had God's providential hand upon us, dictating every circumstance in our life, bringing us to this very moment, because you too, just like Moses, were born for such a time as this and such a calling as this. You may have a miracle story that you can think back to in your childhood. I have a friend of mine who was four years old when he fell from the fourth floor of a building onto concrete below. Four stories at four years old. There is no reason he should be alive, but he got up without a scratch. He has gone on to be an incredible pastor of a thriving church, seeing many people uh, get saved and come into the kingdom, not to mention that he's also an incredible gospel recording artist, winning awards. And you can just see God's hand all over what he wanted to do through his life, and it wasn't going to be cut short at four years old. Some of you have heard the stories in our own lives. Our, our second-born son, the, the doctors told us there was no way that he could live, and if he did, he would live in a vegetative state that the best thing we could do to be merciful to my wife and to be merciful to this child is abort him, but God had put it into our heart like he did Moses, that abortion's not an option because our God does miracles, and God did a miracle in the womb, and today he's the tallest member of our family and is anything far from a vegetable. I'll assure you of that. <laughs> then our... Our very next son was seconds from either being killed or handicapped from life because a resident was doing their first birth and did not recognize the cord was wrapped around his neck twice and a doctor burst into the room just in time to yell, stop, much louder than that, and saved his life. I was in my senior year of studying to be a concert pianist, just a couple of classes from graduating, and I went home to visit my parents for the weekend. And I'm from South Carolina, so that means I went home to Redneckville. And that means that I got on a tractor. It's what you do in South Carolina. When you go home to see your parents, you get on the tractor. I was riding on the back of a tractor, standing on where the gears are, holding on to the fenders. And somebody had done work on one of the tires and they didn't put it back on correctly. So as I'm riding, the tire comes off of the tractor and the fender lands right on the wheel and bounces. Fingers of a pianist but I have my fingers today because my hand fit perfectly between those really big tire treads on a tractor of a moving wheel. You wanna talk about God's providence in your life and what he's been doing. Some of you may say, but, but Jimmy, I don't know that my story is as miraculous as that. And I would say they're not always going to look as miraculous as that. 
Matter of fact, the number one thing that I do to make a difference for God is so not miraculous. I talk. And God never delivered me from a stutter like he did a king in England. God never had my tongue miraculously put back on after an accident. I just talk for a living and I do it with a Southern accent. I mean, come on, maybe that's the miracle actually. But what God's been doing in your life may be equally unimpressive, but yet he's still been dictating every circumstance. You may look back and, and you may say, that's a car accident I shouldn't have lived through. This is a job I don't deserve to have. This is a spouse, boy, did I ever marry up. And, and you can look and see God has been working in your life to bring you to this place for this time. And this is where the rubber meets the road because at some point, every one of us, just like Moses says, okay, God, you brought me here? For what? Because my life doesn't feel all that significant. Because I'm preaching to such a wide audience today, I don't think we're all gonna be answering the question the same. So I'm gonna offer you two answers today. I think we're in a few different places, but I think everybody either is or has been in one of the two places of Moses' life that we've looked at so far. Either living in the palace or hiding in the land of Midian. Typically, if you are younger, a teenager here today, maybe someone in your early 20s, you are more likely to currently be in the palace. Your life is characterized by waiting. This is a season of confusion and frustration. Young people, are you listening? Maybe you know what you're waiting for, but you're beginning to wonder if it'll ever come. Maybe you have no clue. Because you see, the palace is actually a place of preparation. God is doing something to set you up for a future you can't predict, you can't see, you can't understand. And just like high school, God's making you take classes you wish you didn't have to take and you don't understand if you're ever gonna use this. Algebra, everybody, come on. <laughs> the palace is a time of life where you're trying to figure out how the puzzle pieces actually go together. In many days you wake up and you think God is playing a really mean joke because he dumped out all the puzzle pieces and then took the picture on the box away and said, good luck with that. The palace is a time of going through experiences where you don't understand why. You can't figure out how any of this could ever be good or make sense later in your life, at least not yet. And most likely you'll find yourself incredibly bored, wishing away your present for a better future. You're simply tired of waiting. Come on, God, don't you have a purpose to my life? When am I ever gonna see anything come to pass? When am I gonna get married? When am I gonna get to that point? When am I going, when, when? Moses spent 40 years in the palace. Can you just fathom that for a moment? At some point, somebody told him about his miraculous birth. Moses, we found you on a rapid adventure down white water and you were in a basket and it was so much fun and we picked you up. And well, for the next 40 years, you just sat around here and ate. 40 years. What good is building a pyramid architecture gonna do me? Why do I need to learn that? 
Why do I need to learn how to speak that language? Why do I need to know Matt? Why do I need any of this? 40 years. Come on, God, what was the point of saving me? 40 years. I can relate to this part of Moses' life so well. Up until 16 years old, I planned on being a surgeon because I wanted to be smart and rich. Or at least people have people think I was smart and still be rich. But at 16 years old, I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. And at the very moment that I got saved, I knew he called me to do what I'm doing today. So I thought, that'll be quick and easy. Instead of going to med school, I'll go to seminary. I'll be a pastor by the time I'm 25. But little did I know, God had wanted to do some work on me. That I would need well over a decade, nearly two, to work on my character, to bring me to a place. If I'd been your pastor at 20, I would have only been your pastor for five minutes. You would have run as far away as you could. But I was very frustrated because I didn't see the flaws. I didn't see what God was doing. So my plan was very simple. If I'm not going to med school, I'm just going to go get a degree in anything that I thought was fun. I'm gonna get a degree in what I enjoyed most in high school, and that was band class. So I ended up with a music degree intending to go to seminary, but God took me on a completely different path. In all of my 20s, I did everything I could to volunteer and to serve in the church, hoping that any day, any day, somebody would recognize my greatness and I'd be able to do what I'm doing now. And that never came in my 20s. Matter of fact, it barely came in my 30s, near the very end. 20 years, actually, 21, is when I began to walk in the calling. And just like Moses, just like some of you, you get so frustrated waiting that one day you wake up and say, I will do something. I'll do anything. I might get it wrong, but it just doesn't matter. I'm tired of waiting. I'm just gonna step out and go. That day Moses said, you know what? I've had enough of this. I disown you people. I'm gonna go out here. I'm even gonna kill one of you. I'm just gonna go. See, I did the same thing because I thought, well, surely God can do anything. And I had a friend of mine who was trying to start a church in another state. And so I had actually been given a full scholarship to college by South Carolina to go to college as long as I taught in South Carolina for four years. But a friend of mine says, hey, would you help me start a church in another state? So I did, because I thought, well, God will take care of all of that. And I spent the next two decades not in ministry and paying back an incredible debt for my entire education. And you find yourself at that point, just like Moses did. God, I, I stepped out to follow you and you let me down. This is the other group of people. You're not in the palace. You're now hiding in the land of Midian. The land of Midian is characterized by disillusionment. You feel like you've tried and God wasn't there. I want you to remember Moses' story. He spent 40 years waiting, hoping, thinking there's gotta be a purpose. I was saved out of a river, I should be dead. Come on, God, there's gotta be something great here. I was raised among the best of the best, but I'm not one of them and I never can be. I can never be an heir to the throne. He felt it, he knew it. 
Finally, he realizes there's something in his heart. God, you're calling me to rescue my people. I can do that. I can rise up against these people. I can go and help them. From 40 years of waiting, it only was two days later, he had lost everything, messed up everything, and would spend the next 40 years sidelined and disillusioned. We'll pick up a story next week at 80 years old. Today's message is simply called Frustrated and Disillusioned. Because almost every one of us is in one of those two places in life. Frustrated, not figuring out how God's bringing the puzzle together. We're disillusioned because we took a step of faith and it doesn't feel like God was there. As the palace looks typically like people in their teens and 20s, the land of Midian is filled with those of us in our 30s and beyond. Do you feel like you took a step of faith? but God let you down. Maybe you fought for a marriage and you still lost. Maybe you're trying to be pure and single, but it looks like it's a never-ending wait. Maybe you tried to tithe or be generous, but you don't quite see the hand of blessing on your life. Maybe you tried to be vulnerable, but only got hurt. Maybe you tried to pursue a dream but it seems like there was a roadblock at every turn. Maybe you said, I'm gonna live a life of serving God and worshiping Him and telling Him He's awesome, but then you got sick and healing just doesn't seem to come. Or maybe you're just running and hiding from something in your past. Maybe you did something that you don't want anyone around you to know about. Maybe you remember having a dream, but you've given up on what was in your heart. Maybe you've made a mistake you think is simply too big to recover from. Do you think you failed God? Or do you think God has failed you? That's the land of Midian. If any of these are true, disillusioned describes you. And I want you to know there is something really unique about Moses' level of dis being disillusioned told you we'd come back to this. Moses is now spending 40 years of his life hiding as a shepherd among shepherds. And when he first came to rescue those girls, they said, the Egyptian has saved us. Meaning he looked like an Egyptian on the outside. He was still dressed as an Egyptian. And here's your nerd fact for the day. Egyptians would not have anything to do with a shepherd. Shepherds to them were the dirtiest and most defiling people upon the earth. Matter of fact, when God's people lived as slaves in Egypt, they weren't even allowed to be around the Egyptians. They had to live separately because they were so defiling. And so Moses, although he looks like one thing on the outside, he feels another thing on the inside, and now he belongs to neither people. So he thinks, I know where the Egyptians will never find me. I'll be a shepherd among shepherds. I will go to the most rejected. I will go to what I've been raised to think the least of. I will go to the place I've been trained to believe there is no hope. Even God won't find me there. So today I ask you, where are you? Are you frustrated in the palace? Are you hiding in the land of Midian? 
As we'll see in this series, Moses' story doesn't end here. That's some really good news, everybody. And wherever you are today, please hear me. This shouldn't be the end of your story either. You see, I want you to remember Moses at this point was wanted for murder. That's a crime God doesn't like. He has sinned in God's eyes. He's being chased by the Egyptians for what he did to them. He's been rejected by his own people. He is 80 years old, hiding as a shepherd among shepherds. Nobody in human history would look at this guy and say, I'm gonna write a book about him. He's gonna go on to greatness. This 80-year-old shepherd over here, boy, let me tell you what, I think God's gonna do the most amazing things through him. Matter of fact, if you can imagine with me, someday he'll write part of the Bible. He's gonna go up on a mountain and meet with God like no other man ever did. His face is gonna glow from the experience. That's what I see, said nobody ever. But God, come on, my two favorite words in the Bible, but God, what people do not see, God sees. What people will not do, God does, because our God is a God of redemption. Our God is a God of restoration. And God takes whatever wrong turns you have done, wherever you were hiding, whatever land you were in, and he uses it to be a part of your story to redeem exactly what he still intends to do in your life. Because that's who our God is. It's how amazing our God is. You see, your story doesn't need to end there either. The truth is, this should have been the tragic insignificant end to the story. We should have never heard of Moses. So far, there's absolutely no reason that human history would talk about him, except that God wasn't done. God is not done with you. So today, I wanna to close by simply praying for you. If you're in a place of being frustrated, please don't give up. God put you in the palace. He's doing a great work. You may have to wait a little longer than you want. And if you're disillusioned, it's not too late. We sing a song. If I'm still breathing, you're not done. And that's the truest thing for you and me. Hear me when I say this. Just like Moses, you were born for such a time and calling as this. You guys with me? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are such a sovereign God that even our mistakes somehow work back into your purpose. That even when we take a turn we should have never taken, even when we get frustrated, you can redeem. God, we thank you that even when we believe we're alone, we've been abandoned by everybody upon the earth, you are still with us. Your eyes are still upon us and you are still working in our lives. God, my prayer today for every person here, if they are frustrated, if they are waiting, that you would give them grace, that you would give them vision, that you would give them dreams to hold on to. God, my prayer for those who are disillusioned is that you'll give them hope that you're not done yet. That you'll come to them, you'll speak to them in a way that maybe they haven't been hearing for a few years now. And you'll restore everything you ever intended to do. You'll bring life to what the devil tried to kill. God, we thank you for your goodness. If you're just in a place of prayer, I'd like to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. We sang about it earlier during worship. God provides. And one of the 
most significant provisions he ever did was a way for us to be forgiven and to be right with him. You see, every one of us at some point has sinned. So God sent his own son, Jesus, to live a perfect life to die on the cross so that his death could pay for our sins. And then he, with the same power that he raised him from the dead, can promise us eternal life. It's what we call the free gift of salvation, but every one of us at some point in human history has to engage with God and receive that gift. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that wherever you are right now. Simply pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?